Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. If this is your first Sunday, so glad that you're here. I wanted to begin today by just telling a story. Uh, several years ago, I got invited to go out to dinner uh, with some friends for one of my wife's friends' birthdays. And it was one of those where, you know, a Facebook invite goes out, everybody's up at the restaurant, and there's literally not a big enough table in the restaurant to fit all of us. So we kind of just sprawled out over tables and booths and we kind of just took over the whole place, and we were moderately loud, and so, you know, our presence was known. Had a great meal, great dessert, finished, and we're walking kind of as one big group towards the hostess station on our way out. We get to the hostess station, and the girl standing there, she goes, wow, what a big group. Are you all part of some cult or something? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not making some promises, what she said, and what you have to know is that sometimes I don't filter my words very well. Like, a thought comes in my head and it's out before I can speak. And luckily, I was not the closest one to her because the words that came into my head when she said cult were, yeah, you know, we smoke weed and do free love. Come join us, you know. And luckily, someone wiser and godlier than I was was closest to her. And she said, well, actually, you know, one of our friends had a birthday today and we're all here to celebrate with her. And the hostess's jaw just hits the floor. And she looks at us and she says, one of you, has this many friends, and they all came out to dinner, where do I find that many friends? And I realized that day that we weren't just having a meal. I realized an important lesson that night that community is attractive. When you see people together, and they love one another, and they encourage one another, and they're doing life together, there's a part of you as a human that just goes, I want in on that. I want to be a part of that. I need more of that in my life. And that's what happened to us that night in the restaurant. And I have to tell you, it didn't just happen in that restaurant several years ago. As I began to pray and discern, and as the search team reached out to me about becoming the next lead pastor at Cornerstone, that was my experience when I met you. That was my experience when I met the elders and the search team. I sensed that something special was happening here. I wasn't attracted because Jamie is like a baby and plays really good on the, you know, the guitar, <laughs> although he is like a baby. Um... I wasn't, I wasn't attracted because this is a great space to have church. It's a comfortable place for the community to come. I wasn't coming because God had done great things in Cornerstone over the last few years. The first thing that drew me here was you together. The health that I sensed you had together. The love that I sensed you had for one another. And you could feel it. You see, that is an attractive thing. And this morning, we're going to talk, talk about community but it's going to be an honest conversation about community. Can we have an honest conversation in church today? Is that okay with you? I think there are two groups in the room. Well, there's more than two groups, but there's specifically two groups in this room and two different reactions to community. You know, for some of us, community is a dream. We go, man, I, I wish I could experience community and we have dreams about it. Maybe we experienced it at one season in our life and we've been trying to recapture that ever since. Maybe you were part of a church once somewhere else in Prescott or another place, and you're just trying to recapture that sense that you had with those people. You read the Bible, and you read Acts 2, or you read Acts 4, and you go, man, it must be nice for them, because it's never happened for me. And some of us, we have these dreams of community, and I want to warn you of the danger sometimes in that, 
Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a really famous, smart guy from the 20th century, theologian and pastor, said these words, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Sometimes your dreams of community can become oppressive in other people because you love your dream more than you love the people who are right in front of you. So for some of us, community is a dream. For others of us, community is a nightmare. Because community is the place that we've been hurt. Community is the place where we've been wounded. Community is the place where we've been betrayed, disappointed. So, show of hands in the room. How many of you have ever been hurt in the context of church? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. I'm jealous of all of you who are not raising your hand. I could show you, like, my scar here from 2008, you know, and this, this is from 2004. And I mean, if you're in community for long enough, you're going to get hurt because people get close enough to you to love you, they also get close enough to you to hurt you. And so some of you, it's a nightmare and you go, I'm just going to keep people at a distance. And I totally get it. I mean, it makes total sense. Why let them in close enough to hurt you? But the truth is, if they don't get close enough to hurt you, they're never going to get close enough to love you. And so while you keep hurt away, you also keep love away. William Paul Young says it this way, if most of our hurt comes through relationships, then I suppose most of our healing will as well. God has this crazy way how he takes the very same thing that hurt us and he redeems it. And he allows it to be a force of healing in our lives. So what I want to do this morning, whether community is a nightmare for you or a dream for you or somewhere in between, my prayer is that God speaks to you today and he shows you how he wants to use community as something to change you and transform you to make you more like Jesus. You know, we're in this series called Rooted, Beginning Like Jesus. We're looking at how Jesus started his ministry, and we're recognizing that the roots he put down here in the beginning, they led to fruitfulness in the future. And we all want to be fruitful. We all want to be successful. We all want to live the good life. But that comes in the future as we put down roots well in the present. My wife is transforming our backyard into uh, a nursery. I mean, every time she goes out, she brings back new plants. And, um, and so what we're doing right now is we're making sure that the ground has nutrients and fertilizer and it's healthy because what is very small now will hopefully be very large and fruitful in the future. And so in the same way here, we're building our roots following the, the model of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we started this series and we talked about how what God says about me is the truest thing about me. We talked about how our identity can be rooted and should be rooted in what God says about us, not what other people say about us, not our performance, not our position. Last week, we discussed how God uses crisis and adversity in our lives, how God uses adversity to make us more like Jesus, how the, the situations we would have never asked for become the context for God's greatest work. It's not easy. It's often painful, but God does incredible work there. And this week, we're going to see how Jesus intentionally sought out community as he did his ministry. And one of the things you're going to notice is we're going to skip over a little section in Mark chapter 1, but we're going to come back to it next week when we wrap up the series. So if you have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Also, if you've got an iPhone, an Android, for those of you laggards who are still fighting with your BlackBerry, you know, you can, I guess, use that too for a couple more years. But Mark chapter 1 is the context of this series, and 
we've been leaning into this action-packed narrative, the beginning of the life of Jesus. And in Mark 1, we see Jesus begin a new season of his ministry as he begins to call people to do ministry with him. And so I'd encourage you just to stand with me as we honor God's word and read this passage together. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen behind me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is what Mark records. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. God, I pray that you would use this passage and this text to speak to us in a powerful way today. Give us ears to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As I've been living in that passage and all of Mark 1 for the last several weeks, just a, a simple idea struck me that I hope to really drive in and, and, and root in your hearts today, and it's this idea, that we cannot follow Jesus alone, that we need community. We cannot follow Jesus alone. We need community. If you read through the scriptures, you're not going to find any person who follows Jesus who is doing it solo. All of them are doing it in the context of community. They're doing it with other people. Even Jesus doesn't go about his ministry by himself. And, I, and I've been fascinated by this question for some time. Like, why did Jesus need other people? I mean, he was God. It wasn't like he needed their power. I mean, he had all the power he needed. It wasn't like he needed their wisdom. He had all the wisdom that was needed. It wasn't like he needed their creativity. I mean, everything you see as you leave today is from the creativity of God. Why did he need these guys? Because he was human. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. And he needed them. And I think there are three things that we can see from the life of Jesus that are why he chose to do this with them. And the first thing is that he didn't want to do it alone. Jesus did not want to do life alone. It wasn't just that he needed them. I think he wanted to do it with them. I think Jesus intentionally chose to say, I would rather do this with you than do it by myself. You know, in verse 17 of Mark 1, if you still have your Bible open, it says that Jesus spoke to Simon and Andrew and he said, follow me. The word follow me is a Greek word, the word akulatheo, which comes from a word meaning to walk the same road. And we think about follow as like going behind, like I'm learning Prescott still. I haven't gotten too lost yet, thanks to GPS. Um, but if you were to like, say, invite me out to lunch and I was going to follow you, I would make sure and stay behind you. And if you were a good friend, you would not go through the, through, through the yellow and abandon me, you know, at the red light, you know, where did they go? Where, how do I find them? You know, that's our idea of following. Well, this word isn't just that idea. It's to walk the same road, not just behind, but together. Jesus is saying, come follow me, come do this with me. And why did Jesus do that? Because he knew the road that lied ahead. He knew how difficult his future was going to be. He knew that he was going to be betrayed. He knew that he was going to be crucified. And he wanted to walk that road with other people. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, 
take someone with you. It is so much quicker and more efficient in our 21st century world to just do life by ourselves. But if you want to go far, if you want to be successful, if you want to thrive, you will need a community around you. You will need a community around you. And what's so funny is that Jesus, in doing this, is totally changing the paradigm of his world. I love learning just interesting things about the Bible, and I try to share these each week with some of you who just maybe are overly familiar with some of these texts. You know, in the first century, a rabbi like Jesus would typically wait for people to come seek him out. They would go, Rabbi, can I follow you? Can you mentor me? Can you teach me? Can you share with me? Jesus, though, doesn't wait for these guys to come after him. He goes to them and says, no, you follow me. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to disciple you. I'm going to invest in you. You see, Jesus was intentional in seeking out this community. He didn't wait back passively for it to form. And many of us who don't have community in our lives, we're just waiting for friends to magically appear. Like roll over one night, wake up on our nightstand as our iPhone and a friend. Oh, wow, where did you come from? Awesome, I'm glad you're here. You know, like we expect it to kind of happen like that. And Jesus, no, he went and sought out this community because he didn't want to do life alone. The second reason I think he chose to do ministry and community is that Jesus knew that discipleship happens best in the context of community. Jesus knew that discipleship happens best in the context of community. Jesus only had three short years to invest everything he could in these men, and then he was going to leave 12 uneducated common men to invest the future of Christianity in. And it's gone pretty well, I would, I would say, you know. It's been pretty successful. And he invested in them in the context of community. Back in Mark 1.17, this is what we read. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He wasn't saying they were fishers of men on that day. He said, I will make you become. Make you become is giving us this idea that there is a transformation that's about to happen. There is a process they're going to enter into. And if you've ever mentored someone, if you've ever coached someone, if you've ever parented someone, you know the process of that make you become. It's slow and painful and disappointing and difficult, and three steps forward and 10 steps back. And that's the process that Jesus is entering into with them. He's saying, I am going to see you transformed. I'm going to make you become something you aren't now. And the context for that is our life together every single day. They didn't meet once a week for an hour a week. He shared every waking moment with them. It was a crash course in becoming more like Jesus. And what I think Jesus understood that we need to understand is that God teaches us things in community we would never learn in isolation. God teaches us things in community that we would never learn in isolation. Man, because of the internet, there are so many things you could learn and be exposed to that you couldn't 30, 40, 50 years ago. But there are other things that Wikipedia just can't tell you that you can only learn as you're in relationship and in community with other people. If you think back in your life to the most important lessons, like if I were to interview you right now, I'm not going to come out in the crowd, I promise, those of you who don't like to be on stage, but 
If I was to come out to you and say, hey, what are the two or three most important things you've learned in your life? Almost all of you would share something that someone else taught you. A person taught you that. You learned that in a relationship. It wouldn't be, you know, I was Googling one day and I found this and it changed my life, you know? Most of those lessons came because of people in your life. And you are where you are today because of the people in your life. Jeff Goins, who's a writer who's helped me become a better writer, said it this way, every story of success is a story of community. Every person who's a success, and I'm not defining that word, I'm not putting qualifiers around it, so you can fill in your own definition, but every person who's a success is there because a community of people got them there. And we saw that this week. On Tuesday afternoon, I went over to the juvenile detention center, you know, one of the first places you should go when you move to Prescott, you know, it's right there on the the tourist guide, you know. But I wasn't there because I was a tourist, I was there to celebrate. Josh McClintock, who's our youth and family pastor, and his wife Katie were formalizing the adoption of their son, Xander. And this has been over a year in the making. One of the things we heard is that one of the people who was involved in the case wrote Josh recently and said, hey, I I just want to apologize to you because there was a certain point in this case where I gave up hope. But you didn't. Your family didn't. Your church didn't. And it's inspired me. See, they were there and there was a huge crowd in the courtroom celebrating with them the adoption of Xander. And it wasn't just because Josh and Katie are amazing, even though they are. It was because a community of people has been walking with them through the highs and the lows. Oh, we're going to get him. Oh, we may have to give him up and never get him back. And because of that, it was a great celebration. And that story of success was the story of a community of people. So they all came together to celebrate that. See, if we're going to become like Jesus, that's not something we can just do with our Bible and the Holy Spirit on our own. We need other people to do that with. There are things that we will only discover as we do life together. The third thing that Jesus learned, the reason why he chose to do ministry and community, was his ministry was about serving others. The ministry of Jesus was about serving others. And if your ministry is about serving others, you have to have others. I know that's rocket science I'm sharing this morning. But if you're going to serve other people, you have to be around other people. One of the best summaries of Jesus and his philosophy of ministry is Matthew 20, 28, where he said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love living in 2016, but one of the hard parts about 2016 is that we have to fight the desire to become entitled. We have to fight the desire to be self-absorbed. We have to fight the desire to be narcissistic. And the ministry of Jesus had every reason to be those things. I mean, after all, there's no one who's better at anything than Jesus. There's no one who had any more reason to be about himself than Jesus. I mean, he's kind of the best thing ever. And yet he says, it's not about me. I'm not here to be served. I am here to serve. And he promised his disciples that their life was going to be the exact same way. He didn't say, hey, you're going to be massively successful. You're going to be internationally famous. You're going to be widely adored. You're going to be ridiculously wealthy. He said, no, you're going to give your life on behalf of other people so they can discover who I am and my love. One of my favorite texts that I, when I do weddings, I don't typically do 1 Corinthians 13 because I figure everybody's heard enough sermons on that. A lot of times I do weddings and I share out of Philippians 2. And Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. So this was going to be an honest sermon. This is really stinking hard. I mean, it's hard to put other people's interests before your own. Sometimes it feels un-American. I mean, they get what they want and I don't. Like, what's the, what's the deal with that? Like, no, that, that isn't the American way, you know? And yet that is the way that Jesus calls us to live. And this is the greatest challenge that any community or any nation or any church faces is as they grow and as they prosper, will it be about them or will it be about others? You know, the church is a unique organization. It's unlike a business because a business's number one job is to make a profit. A country club's number one job is to provide services to your members so they're satisfied. Netflix's number one job is to make sure that Octonauts and Little Einsteins are there on demand for Scott when his kids go crazy. The church, our number one job is to serve those who don't yet belong. We exist for people who don't even yet know they want to be a part of us. And that is incredibly hard. One of the best definitions I've heard of church is this. The church is broken people loved by God. Loving broken people loved by God. The church is broken people who recognize that they're broken and yet loved, who intentionally get about loving other people who are broken because they're loved by God too. And this is incredibly hard because it forces us to live in a tension that we can't solve. See, the the vision that I have for Cornerstone is that we would be a church that is externally focused, that is passionate about reaching Prescott and beyond, while at the very same time remaining committed to helping people grow up in their faith, to be externally focused and internally strong, to be about evangelism and discipleship, because most churches do one and not the other. I came and met Jesus in this church, but then I went to this church to grow up in Jesus. Man, I went here because they really were good at reaching people. But then I went over here because they were really good at growing people. That's not an option in this book. It may be an option in Prescott. It may be an option in America. But it's not an option in this book. We don't get to pick one or the other. We have to be both. A church that is about people being raised up in their faith while at the very same time remembering that we used to not be that person and we need to be for those people too. And so we have to remain committed to being that kind of community where, yeah, this place can be for you, but it can't be about you. This this will be a church that's for you, that you can call home, but it will never be about you because the moment that it becomes about any of us, we have stamped our death certificate and we're on the way to die. So how do we do this? How do we create this kind of community? Well, I've got three ideas for you on the back of your handout. The first one is we can focus on what we have in common. We can focus on what we have in common. You know, one of, the, one of the great things about our world today is we're reminded about how incredibly diverse we are, but how much we have that, that is unique about each of us. But a community that is always highlighting its differences and focusing there is not strong. 
A community that is strong spends the majority of its time saying, this is what we have in common, and it is greater than all of our differences. Because what we have in common is actually greater than all of our differences. One of my favorite hymns goes, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. One of the reasons that that was so powerful a little while ago when you sang, it is well with my soul, it wasn't just because you can sing and you can read, it's because that was true. For many of you, you're walking through a difficult season and yet you're singing, it is well with my soul because of what you believe, because of the grace that sustains you, and that is what unites us together. We're in the middle of a time in our world where we're doing all we can to focus on what we don't have in common, and it's dividing us. And our church can be united when we focus on what we have in common and what unites us, what brings us together. My friend Hank says it this way. He says, Scott, cause creates community. When you can get people focused on a common cause, they will come together. Has anyone ever competed in anything on a team? Raise your hand. Okay? You know what I know. There are people on your team that are weird. (laughs) That you would have never invited to dinner at your house. But over time, as you're on that team, as you're working together, all of a sudden, this strange thing starts happening inside of you. You start liking that weird person. (laughs) Maybe I do want to have dinner with them. Maybe I do like them a little bit. What's going on? It's because that cause that you're focused on has overcome the things that separate you, the things that used to annoy you. Cause brings us together. And when we focus on our cause sharing the good news of grace that's transformed us, we find ourselves being called together in crazy ways. One of the things I did in in studying for this sermon is I looked at the disciples, the 12 people that Jesus appointed to be closest to him, and I found something really interesting. In Luke 6, we're told about a man named Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a first century political party whose number one goal was to overthrow the Romans. They were anarchists. They wanted to get rid of the Romans. And so Simon is with Jesus and these 11 other guys every day. And one of the 11 other guys is a guy named Matthew. He's a tax collector. He works for the Romans and takes money from the Jews for himself in the process. And Matthew and Simon are with Jesus every day for three years. And yet I can't get over the person in my Facebook feed who wants to vote differently than me. I can't get over the fact that someone down the road from me this morning is for Trump or for Hillary or vice versa. When you make that your focus, you will never discover community. And if Simon and Matthew could figure it out with Jesus, then we can figure it out here by focusing on what we have in common, focusing on the cause that unites us, not politically, but the mission that calls us together. The second way that we can build this kind of community, we can be intentional. We can be intentional. You know, I mentioned that we don't roll over in the morning and one day there's community next to our bed. I think a lot of us would like that because it'd be easier. It'd be simpler. It'd be less painful. And yet, if you look in your life to the people that you're close to, you know this truth, that community is never experienced apart from intentionality. 
The friendships that you have today are in your life because you have been intentional day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, investing in that person. And you now have this rich friendship because of that long history. And yet many of us go, man, that's just, that's a lot of work. Can't I like microwave that, you know, like three and a half minutes defrost chicken and it's there, you know? If you read the words of Jesus, there are three words you will never find. Easy, quick, and comfortable. You're not going to find them. And if you want to build a sense of community with people, you are never going to find easy, quick, and comfortable relationships. The best relationships don't come that way. They come because you just keep showing up and keep showing up and keep showing up. See, what I've learned the hard way is you don't realize how much you need people until you need people. You don't realize how much you need people in your life until you're in a moment and you go, oh my gosh, I need people. Bad. You get one of those phone calls that remind you you're not in control. Those of you who think you're in control, that's a great illusion. Just one phone call will change it. From your doctor, from your boss, from your kids, from your friend. And in that moment, when you get that phone call, and the next thing you're going to do is, I need to reach out to. I need some help. Who do I? If you haven't invested in people before you get that phone call, you don't have people to depend on and walk with through that crisis and adversity. See, you have to build a community when you don't need a community to have a community when you need it most. You have to be intentional. Yes, you'll have God. Yes, I believe he will sustain you, but it will be very different than if you had a community to walk with. That's why we're so passionate here at Cornerstone about community groups. These aren't perfect communities. How do I know that? Because you're in them. It's true. I can't promise you that if you join one of these groups, you're going to find your three BFFs. I mean, I mean, I can't promise you that you're going to find somebody who just totally gets you. But I can promise you that if you're intentional and you show up week after week after week after week, something amazing is going to happen that a year from now, you're going to have a different sense of community than you do today. And so these groups are not magical. They're not special. They're just people who are intentional about showing up in each other's lives and creating space for God to make them more like Jesus and more connected together. And when they go through crisis, they go through it differently than those who go through it alone. So if you still have your Hi There card, you can fill it out and bring it out to the community group table and they can share more information with you. We have new groups that are starting right now for the fall and there's room for you. You don't have to go through life alone. And if you're going through life alone, it's not because you didn't have options. It's because you're choosing to go through it alone. The challenge for others of you is that you have to learn how to use a word that we don't say very well as Americans. It's no. I'm terrible at saying no. That's why I married a woman who it's her favorite word in the vocabulary, you know? I'm great at yes, she's great at no, we're a, great, we're a great pair. And the truth is, is that many of us would say, Scott, I don't have time in my life for more community. I don't have time for more people. Well, then quit something. Say no to something. 
I mean, how much do you want community? How much do you need it? Do you really need to binge watch another show on Netflix? Is two more hours at work going to make the difference in your life that two hours with somebody over dinner is going to make? At the end of your life, I can promise you, you're not going to regret spending more time with people. But you're going to go, man, I I wish I'd watched more Netflix. I wish I'd worked 50 hours at work instead of 48. No, you're not going to do that. At the end of your life, you're going to go, man, I wish I spent more time with the people that I loved and cared about. And so be intentional about that. The third thing, I kind of saved the hardest one for last. You have to let other people in. If you want to build the kind of community that Jesus had with these 12 men over three years, you're going to have to let other people in. And to go back to the beginning, for some of you for whom community is a nightmare, that's the scariest thing. Because you've been there. And as soon as I said let other people in, your mind went back to those people who you let in and how they hurt you. And I get it. But here's what you have to understand. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known. You can only be loved to the extent that you are known, and by opening yourself up to love, you are risking hurt. That's just part of the bargain. But Jesus knows how that feels. I mean, he called Peter, said, hey, Peter, come follow me. We just read that. Knowing that Peter was going to betray him. Judas, hey, come follow me. Knowing that he was literally going to sell him out. Hey, James and John, come follow me. Even though while I'm sweating drops of blood, you're going to be snoring. Hey, Thomas, come follow me. Even though you're not going to believe that I did what I said I was going to do. Jesus called all of these 12 knuckleheads knowing that they were going to disappoint him. Knowing they were going to hurt him. Knowing they were going to wound him. And he did it anyway. And the reason why is he knows what Ed Stetzer says. The danger of not being in, commu- of being in community is hurt. The danger of not being in community is shipwreck. Some of you are so obsessed with this first one. The danger of communities being hurt. They could hurt me. Yes, they could. But you could also go through a shipwreck alone. You could get a phone call that changes your life forever. don't want to go through that alone. That's worse than being hurt. That's worse than the risk of somebody wounding you. And I say that because that was my experience a couple years ago. The Sunday I came in view of a call, I shared the story of how my wife and I almost lost the pregnancy with our twins in 2014. And that weekend after that, after we figured out they were actually going to be viable, the pregnancy was going to be viable, my wife went on bed rest for 18 weeks six of which she was hospitalized for, so I was basically a single dad. It was really hard, but a community of people came around us. But as I look back on it, most of those people who came around us were friends that came into our lives through my wife. They were her friends before they were my friends. And I looked around my life in that season, and I had lots of friends, like most men have, but our friendship was about this deep. Our conversations were about this deep. I even had a small group of guys. We met every Wednesday morning at 7.30 and our conversations were about this deep. And I realized that I needed people. And so one day I showed up to the coffee shop 
and I just, bleh. not literally, but like emotionally, you know, I word vomited just everywhere. This is how I feel. This is what's going on. Here's how overwhelmed I feel. Here's how my marriage is just difficult because I can't even touch or be around my wife and I'm overwhelmed with my son and I'm overwhelmed at work and I just went blah, 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 blah. And our group changed like that because I let them in. And when I let them in, they let me in. And this week, those guys were texting me at 7.30 on Wednesday morning. Hey, you coming? It'll be pretty late, guys, you know? But we're still in each other's lives today because I let them in. And you're not going to have this kind of community if you are not transparent and vulnerable with other people. Becoming more dependent on God often looks like asking people for help because you experience God through them. I began this message with with a story. I want to end it with a scripture. In the final words of Jesus before he was crucified, he prayed for you and me. And in his prayer, he said these words, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus didn't pray that we'd have an easy life. He didn't pray that things would be simple. He didn't pray that things would be comfortable. He prayed that we would be perfectly one, that we would be together as a community. But he doesn't end there because it's not just community for the sake of community. That's what happens often in church or in groups. We just become about awesome. We have community together. That's great. He said, so that for the purpose of the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So if we want Prescott to discover the love of Jesus, that the Father has sent the Son out of love, one of the ways Jesus promises that the world and our world will know that is if we do this well. If we are community well. If we love each other well. If we are together, he says, the world will know that God sent Jesus and loved them even as the Father loved Jesus. That's a promise. That's how high the stakes are. That's the opportunity in front of us. It isn't just you get to have more friends. It's that your friends that don't know Jesus get to discover who Jesus is and his love if we can be community well. That to me is a great reason to be together and to do this together. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much that you know what it means to be hurt. You know what it means to be betrayed. You know what it means to be disappointed. You know what it means to be afraid to let others in. We don't have a God, a Father, a Savior who can't sympathize with our struggle. You know it perfectly well. And so we come to you as one who understands our struggle and our story. but you don't remove the challenge. Jesus, you don't remove the call from us. You said in the very beginning of the Bible that it is not good for us to be alone. It's not easy. It's not safe. It's not comfortable. But you said it's not good. So we pray this day you might meet us here in the midst of our anxiety, 
about letting others in. In the midst of our busyness and the lack of time we have for people. In the midst of our bitterness that we're taking out on other people for wounds they didn't give us, that somebody else gave us, that we haven't gotten over yet. God, meet us here. Amidst all of our diversity and differences, we pray that you would fulfill that prayer from John 17, that you make us perfectly one. Because God, we have so many people that we are praying for and longing for to discover you and your love. Do in and through us what we can't do ourselves. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to sing a song this morning. It's entitled, This I Believe. And it's a simple statement of the song, the story, the grace that we hold in common. And while the song is going, you've got total freedom. If you want to stay in your seat and pray, that's great. If you want to come forward and lay something down before God, you can do that. If, if you've been going through life alone, trying to figure it out by yourself, and you're ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus and depend on him for the first time, you come forward and one of our prayer partners could pray with you. Or you could just stand and sing with other people. Who look different, a little bit weird sometimes, but who are part of the same story. This is your opportunity to respond. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.